Hi folks, just a little content note. We are talking about sex scenes in movies and TV in this episode, and so we do get into some discussions of scenes that depict sexual assault or abuse, like in the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, or sexual scenarios with dubious consent. Um, Nothing too graphic, but if you're triggered by that stuff, then you may want to skip this episode. Thanks, love you. Welcome to the Dildorks Dorky Discourse on Sex, Dating, and Masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and there's a sex scene in Secretary that really kind of changed the trajectory of my life. Who are you, friend? I'm Billy. I'm a sex educator and porn maker, and I'm really more of a nerd for TV than for movies, but I feel like there's less of a name for that one than, like, film buff, I guess, (laughs) or the other thing. I don't get one for being really into TV, but anyway, I have lots of opinions about this shit. Love it. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to talk about sex scenes in an episode because... There's a lot of discourse about them right now, and it feels like one of those things that, like, the discourse just comes back every, I don't know, 10 to 20 years Mm -hmm. in the same way that sort of the pendulum of Puritanism sort of goes back and forth, and it feels like there's this new wave of, like, it seems like largely Gen Zers who are questioning the necessity of sex scenes and saying that they're unnecessary and um i've been ranting about this a lot on twitter lately it's uh it's pissing me off quite a bit uh and even i've even seen like weird takes that like not just that they're unnecessary but like that they're uncomfortable for being made to watch it or something Mm -hmm. like that it is I mean, the extremist stuff talking about, like, it's violating them as the viewer for having to see the things or, like, yeah, I just, some really wonky stuff out there and way more puritanical than I would expect from the youths. Yeah, I think it's interesting that this is happening in a space that, like, arguably has more content notes and content warnings available than, like, many other kinds of media like yeah you can log on to various websites on the internet or to social media and find out pretty quickly like the content of any given sex scene in any given movie like even ones that are out in theaters like people are tweeting about them you can check it if you want to and also the mpaa uh, ratings are readily available if you want to look at that it's like the og content warning like we right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i as someone who makes art sometimes narrative art I just find it very distressing that we are starting to have conversations about whether certain elements of art are quote-unquote necessary because the thing Mm -hmm. about art is like it's not necessary like it is necessary as a part of the human condition it is a necessary outlet for humanity every individual choice that is made by an artist in the creating of a piece of art is a choice that that artist is making toward making the thing that they're making better and express more clearly what they're trying to express. And if sex scenes are a part of that, then they're a part of that, like along with any other type of scene that could be in a movie or TV show. And I find it odd that people are making the argument that they're not 
necessary as those sex scenes are superfluous or have no content or are just sort of fluff that could be cut. Mm-hmm. Because I think in art as in life, there is plot development that happens during sex. There is character mm-hmm. development. There is interesting stuff. Um, yeah. I think I, I, I agree to some extent with the idea that like if there's no development of any kind happening in a sex scene, I don't find that as engaging. I just don't think that that's justification for like they shouldn't exist at all. And I also think that that's rarer than a lot of these people are arguing. Like I think that almost any sex scene in any piece of narrative media has a reason narratively for being there. Whether or not right. you are aware of that reason is uh, is up to you. But yeah. And, and and scenes that don't make any sense in media or could be cut from media or whatever is not exclusive to sex scenes. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I've watched, I watched a movie the other night and I was like, wow, this artist really, like, this director really loves these long, lingering shots at the end of scenes. And to me as a viewer, it's communicating that, like, something's going to happen. Oh, no, we were just, we were just lingering there for a while. Okay. <laughs> and, like, it's... I would have cut them shorter because that is my taste, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like you're communicating a thing that wasn't actually going anywhere. But, like, Mm -hmm. that's still a stylistic choice that I just disagree with the director. It's Mm -hmm. not like – I've seen plenty of, like, weird conversations between characters where I was like, why why did we need all of that, right? Like, violence, obviously, is the other big one that, like, does often have this conversation around it, right? But, like, even that, I don't know, like – art that is designed to be sensationalist and stuff that is just put in there for shock value or for discomfort or whatever mm-hmm. not my preference in art but still art like it's not like it's still a choice and they're still making it for like they're still doing that for to elicit a response from the viewer and it still has it, it's still a conscious de- decision mm-hmm. you know yeah. Like I when I think about like slashers and things, like it's not my favorite genre of horror, but like there are people who do get things out of the like shock and gore part of it being the driving story and I I'm not here to tell them that they're wrong. It's just not my genre, right? So right. like I don't know, to the to focus so much on like we need to justify that this sex scene is specifically driving a plot in a specific way to be worth it. Are you critiquing the comedy that way? Are you critiquing the like weird, cringy, awkward moments that way or the tension or the like, cause I, I don't think you are. I don't think this is about, <laughs> you think this movie, this story could have been told in a tighter way. I think this is, oh no, sex is scary. Right. It reminds me of the argument about whether sex work is quote unquote empowering. And it's like, do we hold any other job to that standard of needing to be empowering in order to be allowed to exist and to have rights and protections for the people in that field? No, we don't. And it's because there's some inherent biases and beliefs that people hold about sex as being somehow different from other activities. And I think in the same way, there's almost nothing else in movies or TV that we are holding up to the standard culturally of like, this needs to be necessary in order to be included. Like this needs to be critical to the plot. Um, And I think that 
a lot of people are not looking critically at like, why is it that they are reacting to sex in that way? Why is it that they are holding it to that standard? And it's because they view it as in some sense inherently immoral or mm -hmm. something of that nature. Um, I think that the violence comparison is really interesting. It reminds me of how when I was growing up, my mom always told me and my brother that like she wasn't going to necessarily like bar us from watching anything, but she would rather us not watch super violent stuff and she didn't care as much about us watching sex stuff and she explained it to us as like most times in your life like sex is a consensual and even potentially like loving you know intimate etc act mm -hmm. and <laughs> violence is not and of course like bdsm you know complicates that but i'm talking about right. violence in the non-consensual sense and um and she just felt like it would probably be worse for our brains and for our development to see violence than to see sex. And I would agree with that. And also, like, you're going to encounter probably more sex in your life than the kind of violence that we see in movies and TV. Like, right. I watch a fuck ton of crime dramas. The likelihood that I'm going to stumble across a corpse one day or, you know, like, mm -hmm. relatively low. But uh, give... If I listened to Bones, it could happen any literally any time, you know, like. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think similarly, like, it's fine to be like, I don't like to watch stuff that has a lot of violence in it. Like, I don't particularly like to watch violent stuff either, but I don't see that as like. An, an accusation I'm making about the filmmakers that they made a right. bad thing. Like, you know, there are certain filmmakers who I think make stuff that's just like super violent and it feels like there's not really enough of a justification for it to be there narratively or artistically. But mm. I mean, that's an artistic judgment. That's not a moral judgment, right? Like I can just right. say like a personally that type of art doesn't appeal to me. doesn't really connect with me. I kind of zone out. I'm not right. saying I don't think it's inherently immoral to depict violence. I think that there are potentially immoral ways to depict violence um, right. if you're like, if you're like normalizing it. But also like just depicting something isn't the same thing as advocating for it or normalizing it. Right. Like I a, a big thing I come to is uh, movies and shows that depict sexual violence and shoot it like a sex scene. Right, right, and like, exactly. That feels fundamentally different to me than a show. I've, I'm probably referenced. I, I mean, I know I've talked about Battlestar Galactica before, but I've probably referenced this scene before because there is a pretty explicit sexual assault scene in that show that is horrifically uncomfortable to watch. Mm -hmm. Like it, and I believe that that would have happened in that circumstance right like right. it is they are showing a crew of people that whose like morality has gone in a real rough direction and they give them a lot of reasons why and they have a character that they have come to see as less than human but looks like a pretty girl like mm -hmm. It's it's not it's not a big leap for me to believe that that character is has been will be sexually assaulted over the course of this thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and like, if you're gonna show me that, like, it should fucking suck. Like, show yeah. me violence, and it should feel like violence. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And like, I do think there is power in making the audience uncomfortable in those mm -hmm. moments like I don't come to art to feel cozy all the time like right. I, I want to feel dread I want to feel disgust I want to feel you know and like I, 
that makes more sense to me than frankly director often male directors who shoot stuff who shoot these things that look like sex scenes and i'm like you're communicating a thing but i don't know that you're (laughs) communicating like i don't know that you fully understand the story you're trying to tell like i feel that way about a lot of the game of thrones uh Mm. assault scenes and scenes that like aren't sexual assault in the books that become sexual assault in the show Mm -hmm. like and again that's an artistic opinion i'm like i don't think you understand the medium i don't think you fully understand the story you're trying to tell Mm -hmm. that's not oh god you put sex scenes in it i'm like "Mm, you're telling a story and it is not like conveyed in the ways that this was shot and in the ways that this is written and told you know yeah but yeah that feels very different to me yeah i agree and it makes me think also about 50 shades of gray Mm-hmm. which the first movie of the trilogy was directed by a woman and then subsequently the two later movies were directed by a man because I think there were creative differences between the female director and the woman who wrote the books. Um, okay. And uh, part of the problem is the bad depiction of BDSM. Like, mm-hmm. And it's it takes a lot for me to say that like a depiction of sex or kink is like, bad like mm-hmm. like because I think this is a this is a case in which the depiction is bad both artistically and morally mm-hmm. um it, I'm still not saying I don't think it should exist like I I do think that the Fifty Shades books and movies like introduced a lot of people to kink who might not have come to it for a long time if at all without that mm-hmm. and I think that a lot of the people who worked on those projects like really put their all into it but the problem is as with queer and trans representation, if you have so few examples in mainstream media of kink and BDSM, there's just more of an onus on those few examples to represent it in a way that is healthy. Mm-hmm. And it's complicated because like one of the questions I have on my list for this episode is like, do you think that art has a moral obligation to depict things like consent in a in a way that we would consider like moral and right and like Mm -hmm. I don't broadly speaking I don't think it does Mm -hmm. I think that that's misunderstanding what art is I think um I forget if we were talking about this on the main show or the bonus recently but we were I I said something about how like it's that's more like a PSA if you're just making art that's like arguing your, your moral stance like it just reads more like a PSA and not like art Uh, But at the same time, I think that for me, the problem with the Fifty Shades stories is like because both the author and the protagonist know so little about healthy BDSM. Yeah. The unhealthy and frankly abusive BDSM in those stories is presented as like, ooh, hot, fun, kinky. And like we never really get someone dressing down Christian for for practicing BDSM in a shitty way like it's Mm -hmm. always sort of presented as yeah it's dark and sometimes scary but it's presented as ultimately like this is just how he is and this is romantic and this is passionate and this is ultimately what they both want and uh it just creates a situation where a lot of people misunderstand pretty drastically and pretty dangerously I think what kink and BDSM are and Mm -hmm. so it sucks because like I actually like I've enjoyed watching those movies like I think in some ways they're well made that I get swept up in them they make me Mm -hmm. laugh sometimes they've turned me on at times but it's like when when our cultural portrayals of kink and BDSM are so rare to begin with at least in the mainstream at that level like it's just 
really damaging to present stuff like that as healthy and normal. Yeah, I think I I have two main thoughts about this because like, yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think art is obligated to present like what we view as like a moral truth or the best or whatever. Like, uh, but A, I think a chunk of that onus shifts from the artist to the audience hyping it up and bringing it into like the main biggest thing. Like Mm -hmm. uh, they talk a lot about this on um, maintenance phase and stuff where Mm -hmm. it's like the onus is also on all of the reporters, like drawing attention to this thing and saying this thing is big and exciting and whatever. Right. Like I, I think some of the onus exists on like, the audience of art to be knowledgeably critical of it and when we Mm -hmm. get to things like kink and stuff that doesn't exist widely in the mainstream that's where it gets really tricky that we're like taking this fictional stuff and using it to inform us about this thing and since it's the only thing we're learning from it it must be right and it makes me feel the feelings that it's trying to make me feel so like it must be doing the thing right and then you know Mm -hmm. um but like yeah I, i i think part of that onus is on like us to be critical viewers of the art that we're looking at, right? Mm -hmm. And also, I don't need art to show morally perfect people. I don't want it to. I I want art to show me real people, though. I want, Mm -hmm. like, one of the, probably the highest compliments I can ever give a, a movie or a TV show is that, like, the people in it feel real to me. The story feels real and it feels true. And mm-hmm. it feels like a thing that could happen in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, for me, that's that's huge. And even if, it, even if I'm watching, like, fantasy and sci-fi and things, like, not grounded in reality, are these, do these people feel real? Do they feel like this is how they would encounter the world? And, like, Christian Grey and Anastasia Steele don't feel real. Like, yeah. I, that it doesn't feel... Like, that is how that interaction would go. It doesn't feel like she's a person who would feel safe in that and be happy in a prolonged relationship with this person. It feels like that would fucking blow up. It feels like you would encounter other kinksters. It feels like her Google search would have gone better. Fuck. (laughs) Like, any of those things, you know? Like, uh, I don't believe that. It doesn't feel grounded in the world that I know of as BDSM because it's not it's it's not written by someone who has experienced that right yeah um granted (laughs) christian gray would have been ousted from the community as an abuser and then not had any support networks around him to protect anastasia and any of those things but that's (laughs) oh we're getting into some hot takes (laughs) that's yeah 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 yeah. as i was saying i was like it doesn't feel true to any king community well yeah. Hmm. <laughs> but, you know, uh, complexities in any community, that's not a rabbit hole we're getting down. But, like, y- you get what I'm getting at, right? <laughs> Before I get myself in more trouble. <laughs> I think one thing that I actually like and appreciate about Fifty Shades is that it feels like this really big metaphor for the way that when you're sort of young and naive, and even sometimes when you're not, 
it can be very easy to get swept up in strong feelings for someone, especially yeah. if they're older than you or more powerful than you or seem like they have more experience, more wisdom, more knowledge of the world than you. And sometimes that can result in you bending your boundaries and doing what they want you to do and falling into unhealthy patterns, etc. But I think for me, the problem is ultimately that there's no real like comeuppance for Christian or like no acknowledgement by the film or like really seriously by the characters that what he's doing is wrong and like not normal for kinksters and yeah. that there are ways that he could change to be healthier like it wouldn't even be that difficult like he can afford therapy and he can afford BDSM best practices instruction you know like it's right he's stubbornly refusing to do that stuff and I think it's because on some level he doesn't want kink to be a game. He wants it to be real. He wants mm -hmm. to really have that power and to really hurt people, including when it's like not strictly consensual. And I think that that, for me, just crosses into a territory of like further stigmatizing sadomasochism in a way that it really does not need. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you're right. Like they, I definitely believe that the story starts out the way it starts out I, yeah all of that makes sense to me that's a rich asshole has this like warped perception of what bdsm is sure that like there are quote-unquote damaged or however they want to rationalize it people in bdsm right there are vulnerable young women who get swept up in all of these things right mm-hmm but the fact that it ends in happily ever after and that's how things are is where I'm like, that's, that wouldn't, this isn't sustainable. This isn't right. like somewhere, this little house of cards will start falling apart. Like you don't, yeah. And that's where it, it just tips over into like a fucking fan fiction, which is what it is. <laughs> I think like, I, I want to make clear that like, I'm definitely not making the argument that these pieces of work should not exist or should yeah. not have been made. Um, I don't like that sort of, I want to say McCarthyism-ish, like, mm -hmm. um, viewpoint that, like, certain art should just not be allowed to exist because you don't agree with what it's saying. But, again, the problem is a numbers issue. Like, if there were tons of mainstream BDSM romances in the movie theaters, like, this would not really be an issue. But part of the reason for that is that people would have more competency to be able to go wait this guy's not doing it right <laughs> right exactly like this should absolutely exist and it should be toiling away in obscurity as it's earned <laughs> with it, frankly it's writing skills like it's not like it's not even like I, you know like uh -huh. i'm like no you this should be a little passion project that you and like five thousand of your followers on the internet love and mm -hmm. you should be real happy like you should be allowed to do that. You should be enjoying that. You shouldn't be one of the most famous erotical authors out there. <laughs> there are yep. people who are doing this better than you are. I don't know how you rolled the dice and won this, but like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I didn't predict, but should have, that we would <laughs> talk this much about Fifty Shades. We have feelings. Uh, uh -huh, one time uh -huh. we did an entire episode where we just watched one of the Fifty Shades movies and just snarked at each other about it the entire time. That's uh -huh. if you want to go back through the archives, that's there somewhere. It's a fun time. I yeah. think it was our Halloween episode because it's scary how bad the consent <laughs> is in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I think so. 
<laughs> it's the scariest thing we could have come up with watching. All right. So before we hop into some listener questions, I wanted to ask if you have any examples that come to mind other than ones already discussed of sex scenes in movies and TV that you think really get it right or that are really good. So I think um, the, the things that were coming to mind for me early on in terms of like, if we're talking about like sex scenes that are really core to character development, because mm-hmm. that's, I guess what I'm going to like in terms of getting it right, that's kind of what I'm going to rank it on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is Outlander. Um, I'm not super far into it. I'm like two seasons in, I think, and I haven't watched it in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a couple of scenes like in the first episode or two, I think, um, a couple of sex scenes between the kind of primary couple. It's complicated, and I'm trying to tell this in a not-spoilery way, right? But <laughs> husband and wife in the first couple episodes. Um, we have a couple of sex scenes with them that feel like they very quickly set up the kind of dynamic this couple has together. Um, the way they communicate while they're in bed together is like, joyful and like giggly and connective and like it is a prolonged sex scene but they're like also talking during it and like doing the in and out of fucking and coming back and you know Mm -hmm. and like one of the first sex scenes they have like starts with him going down on her which like i get feels like it's telling me something right um and like later on they there are other sex scenes with the other main boy because this is it's that kind of show, right? Um, that again uh, show these moments of like how they are coming from very different places to come together and how they have very different understandings of the world and gender roles and sexuality and all of these things. And like we have all of these crucial conversations about that are like building the connection between these two relationships while fucking which like or like immediately after or immediately before or in between or whatever which like feels true to me Mm -hmm. you know the number of dates i've had that like have hours spent like fucking and then laying in bed and talking and fucking some more and like like that is a really connective moment and it is I feel like a really succinct way to show the way two people work together or Mm -hmm. like as a couple and like the rapport that they have. Yeah. So I I think that's done really beautifully. Um, And then I also, my, one of my background noise shows these days has been Supernatural, Mm -hmm. um, which is very tongue-in-cheek horny throughout the whole thing just for funsies because it's it's got that kind of energy right um but i've thought a lot about how like generally i'm more into dean than sam but sam has better sex scenes than dean does because when we actually get to see them fucking it is because it is somewhat out of character for them so Dean is the like uh, gruff masculine the, the kind of playboy he he's always fucking around kind of thing whatever. So like when we get sex scenes from him it's always like oh he's having like a romantic moment with someone. <laughs> oh he's connecting with them. Oh this is like the soft music and it's meaningful and whatever cuz like 
yeah, we know he goes to bars and picks up hot chicks. That's what he talks about all the time. He's that kind of guy, <laughs> right? Um, and Sam is the, like, sweet puppy boy, like, always, always in love with people and having all of the feelings and all of the things, right? And, like, the times when he fucks, it, or when we get to see it, right? Um, it is, like, him having casual, dark, depraved sex because he's on one of his, like, he's on a bender or in his feelings or, like, <laughs> you know, trying to be someone he's not or whatever. Like, the darkness is overcoming him, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, like, you get all these, like, aggressive, desperate, we shouldn't be doing this kind of horny <laughs> scenes with him. And I get none of them with the other one who I'm more like, but because I'm like, no, they're the times that they're showing us this is the times that it's significant, which Mm -hmm. is the times that it is somewhat out of character, Mm -hmm. which I think, which is a thing I have found interesting, like in all the time I've been watching it. Cause for, you know, I've revisited it several times over the decade and a half. It's on the fucking air two decades. I don't even know. It's (laughs) too long, far too long. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I've always thought that was, particularly interesting because i'm like no I, I the kind of sex dean talks about having like shit i'll watch that fine but that's rarely relevant because mm-hmm. it can just be assumed yeah so anything coming yeah anything coming to mind for you yeah i always think it's interesting to see what media properties that are sort of explicitly about sex will do with their sex scenes Mm-hmm. So some examples I've in the past few years, I've watched Sex Life, which is a Netflix show about a woman who's like married and has kids, but can't stop thinking about her hot ex and whether she should have been with him. So there's like mm-hmm. a lot of like flashback sex scenes that are like very hot um, mm. and that really convey this character development piece of like, why is she still longingly thinking about this? And like, is she weighing sex too heavily in her assessment of the choices she should have made in her life, et cetera? There's mm-hmm. also Masters of Sex, which I would highly recommend for anybody who likes this show. Mm-hmm. It's uh, this show, meaning the Dildorks. Um, <laughs> Masters Us. of Sex is about uh, Bill Masters and Virginia Johnson, uh, i.e. Masters and Johnson, who are like some of the pioneering sex researchers, um, mm-hmm. along with Alfred Kinsey. Um, and this show, it doesn't strictly stick to the truth, uh, but it's still fantastic, and a lot of the sex scenes in it take place in, like, a lab environment, so it has sort of this, like, medicalized, like, uh, medical play kind of vibe to it, mm-hmm. but not all of them, and it's actually super hot to see, like, when Bill and Virginia start fucking in a more personal way, rather than, like, just for science and, like, what that's <laughs> mm-hmm. like for them. And there's also Sex Education, another Netflix show, which is about a bunch of British teens, uh, one of whom has a mom who's a sex therapist. And so he's sort of the resident sex nerd at his school. Mm-hmm. And I really like a lot of the sex scenes on that show because they really model good communication, as you were mentioning, um, and communication during sex as a venue for character development and, and showing character. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a lot of interesting, like, technique adjustment conversations or like they'll talk about lube they'll talk about toys they'll talk about orgasms and boners and they're just Mm -hmm. very frank about stuff on that show which i appreciate um i did want to tell you about my probably my favorite sex scene that i've seen in the last year or two okay because the situation was so hot this is from the movie nymphomaniac volume one which is just an unhinged movie (laughs) like really wild i think all the sex scenes are real sex i think 
cool. Um, which that. is always interesting to see. Um, yeah. But in this scene, these two uh, young women are having a contest to see who can fuck the most men on this train. Like it's a bet. Like they're gonna like win a bag of candy. Whoever fucks right. the most men. Um, and one of them tries to seduce this man who's just like calmly sitting there reading his newspaper and he's turning her down, turning her down. He's a married mm-hmm. man. She can see his ring. And as she talks to him, he, <laughs> she le- I'm getting flustered talking about it. <laughs> um, she learns that he's been trying to get his wife pregnant. And currently his wife is ovulating and he's been like saving up his semen for like weeks and mm-hmm. not coming for weeks so that he could have a higher chance of getting her pregnant since they're struggling. So he's like literally on his way to go fuck his wife right now with all this saved up semen. So he's like super horny. And um, she seduces him and eventually gives him a blowjob. And he's like kind of arguing with her, but like not very hard. Um, it is a dubious consent that's, scene. That's... And I will do a content note for this episode. Oh, yeah, but... but that's that's still real good, though. Yeah. And so she blows him and he comes and um it's just the stakes of it are so well crafted and and i really like that it does tell you something pretty big about this character which is that she does not give a fuck about morals or anything like she's just horny and she just wants to do horny shit and she doesn't really care who she hurts candy apparently right (laughs) yeah uh, so I think that that was a sex scene that really stuck with me because the situation was so absurd, but also it just like revealed so much about character and it developed the plot through that. Yeah. I, uh, honorary mention for Sense8 too, if we're talking mm. about like, that's just, I have heard that they have very good, good sex scenes. Yeah. Yeah. They have like just ones that are particularly hot, like especially the orgies and things, but like. Also, a number of sex scenes that just feel real again, mm-hmm. like they when they uh, there's a scene where they're introducing um, the, uh, the trans woman character, and like she's they're like the scene starts with them like finishing fucking, and like her partner like takes the strap off and like kind of throws it on the ground or whatever, and it's like. Like an Aslan strap and like a dick that I recognize. Like it, it just feels very like, and the way they're just like laying there and chatting or whatever. And it's not like, you know, she's like bent over and getting strapped on and taking it from behind or whatever. They're like in missionary all close and everything. And like, it just, it just feels not particularly sensational and more just like, yeah, I don't know. This is how people fuck. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And like it in, in a like, Oh, this is how queer folks fuck. Like this, I could, these could be my friends, you know, mm-hmm. which right. is like, I don't know, feels like what they're going for, I guess, hitting the mark. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you are a porn performer and also you, I don't know, would you consider yourself to be the director of your, yeah, yeah. You're, a, you're a pornographer, broadly speaking. I think we can say that. And um, yeah. a listener was wondering how porn sex scenes differ from sex scenes that you'd see in movies slash TV. Yeah, I... I mean, I think the biggest thing is that a porn often has a tendency towards showing the holes. Like, we (laughs) don't believe it if you can't see it. Right. Um, 
and like I also quite like close-ups on bits like I like having creative angles of showing penetration itself not everyone who does this does um or cares about that or whatever and not everyone who watches porn cares about that Mm -hmm. um but like that's the biggest glaring difference right but also the other biggest thing is that often whether we're talking like gonzo porn or like stuff that is slightly more story focused the stuff that is coming out now is we're talking so long right about the story the sex supporting the story and being justified and having character development and everything whereas in porn it tends to be more if there is story it's there to justify the sex Mm -hmm. and the thing that we're trying to do is like i i I forget who i heard say this in an interview but they're talking about um how art is essentially about eliciting a feeling in people getting people to feel a feeling and important the feeling we're trying to get you to feel is is horny like (laughs) number one right um and i that feels less true the further back you go in like stuff from like the 70s and 80s and things where like and it's not to say that there is no porn like this currently but there's a lot of stuff back then that seems to be more interested in being a movie with explicit sex so like it's porn and a comedy right or porn and like a drop often comedy because it is a that's an easy thing for folks to blend Mm -hmm. but like i don't know more interested in telling a story that involves explicit sex and like i said there are there are people doing this lust cinema comes to mind uh specifically and like their series primary where they're like no we're sitting with these characters for a length of time and telling you a story about them and they are characters who have explicit sex so we have time for a 10 15 20 minute sex scene in the middle of this story we're telling um but that is not what is primarily out there i think and like Mm i i'm personally interested in trying to get more work that or trying to create more work that does kind of bridge that gap a little bit because like I am very interested in storytelling and visual medium is the way I like to do it, right? Um, So I would love to move to a place where I am creating more porn that tells more stories and being a part of like big pieces that are trying to do this or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning and figuring things out and like, you know, these things take time. But like, yeah, I would say that is one of probably the biggest differences is that it, is rarely communicating anything other than this is hot, we're having a good time, isn't this hot, aren't you having a good time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that for me, if a sex scene in a movie is really good and works for me, like that will turn me on. But Mm -hmm. if I want to like get off, I'm probably going to watch porn because mm-hmm. at higher levels of arousal, I'm probably going to want something more explicit to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but not always. And the thing, too, is, like, if a sex scene in a movie or even, like, a flirting scene or a sort of lead up to sex uh, is super hot, I might just jump on Archive of Our Own and read fan fiction about those characters. Because it might actually be hotter to me to imagine those characters fucking than to watch other random people fucking. Yeah. Um, I think that when 
quote unquote feminist porn was like a big buzzword in the industry, maybe like 10 years ago, a big part of what they were doing sometimes was narrative based and sort of character driven porn. And there was a perception and I don't know how true this is. I, you know, there's, I would say that this is a trend that I have seen that has been broadly true, but I think that there are complicated reasons for it. But I think there's a common belief that cis men don't need or want a lot of plot and everybody else might want a bit more, a bit more context, a bit more familiarity with the characters in the situation, um, especially women. But, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, I think there's a lot of reasons why that is sometimes true. I think one of them is that uh, for non-cis men, we may just have a harder time like relaxing and feeling safe in a sexual situation. And so we mm-hmm. might want a little more like runway emotionally to feel like, oh, okay, these characters are like safe and they're into each other. And, um, you know, like this is a huge generalization, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. You're saying that cause I'm laughing. Cause I'm like, Oh, Oh, I don't, I, all of my stories are like, these characters are not safe. These characters are having a bad <laughs> time but their characters actors having a great time characters having kind of a rough time but that's okay <laughs> right i mean that's like that's an interesting point too because i know that uh several pornographers including tristan termino in her rough sex series have done a thing mm-hmm. where they try to very explicitly show the consent of all involved even when the situation is kind of cnc or kind of rough or might mm-hmm. appear at first glance to not be consensual so if you haven't seen tristan termino's rough sex series She'll like sit down with the female lead performer of a scene she's about to shoot. And I think it is always a woman who is sort of the centerpiece of the scene. Um, mm-hmm. And she will ask them about their fantasies and they will describe certain things and why they think that they're hot. And then she will like build the scene around the fantasy that they've described, which is oftentimes mm-hmm. like a very rough or even like degrading type of scene. Mm-hmm. And for me, it really does help me relax so massively to see something like that. Like, because as we've seen, like, even in even in porn productions that one would think and hope would be ethical, there are still abuses that can take place, as in any, mm-hmm. any industry, right? Like, it's not just porn where this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, to see, like, explicit consent, like, that gives some context that really does help me relax and get more turned on. Yeah. And I think maybe but... there's, there's something about, like, narrative film that can sort of make it easier for me to suspend my disbelief in a similar way where it's like, well, they're, they're characters like, you know, they're, yeah. <laughs> but then there's the whole other layer of like, are the actors being taken advantage of in some way? Like we, like we heard about with blue is the warmest color and other right. similar situations where like maybe the actors were not, you know, being treated very well in the filming of the scene. So I don't know. But like, to say. frankly, if, if we're getting into that, are we going to talk about horror and like the, the way people have been treated and the way Hitchcock treated some of his actors mm. in horror films and Kubrick has talked, like we've heard stories about, right? Like mm-hmm. there is just as much problem with like directors right. making really complicated fucking choices. Let's uh, just put it generously. Um, in any, any medium creating any kind of movies. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very similarly, I, um, for me, if you're gonna, it, it is like the higher production stuff where it is like, no, you've given me maybe 10 minutes of setup or even less, but like, 
you've told me enough of who these characters are and why they shouldn't be doing this thing that they're doing, or why this person feels, like, slightly pressured into doing this thing that they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And whatever flavor of CNC or tension or taboo or et cetera that we're playing with. And, like, I enjoy the really campy, silly versions of that that feel very tongue-in-cheek, that feel almost cartoonish in the ways that they're played, like... That's really fun for me as a creative style. And similarly, the like darker, we're shooting this almost like a thriller. You are feeling like kind of uncomfortable with this kind of predatory person. But like, I'm like, this is very, also like very high production. And you're telling me a story and I'm watching a movie. And like, I might be a little uncomfortable in the ways I'm a little uncomfortable watching a thriller or something, right? But like, mm-hmm you are setting up a little context for the kind of sex we're having. And in a thriller, you're telling me a story and sex is contributing to the overarching story of like the characters or the situation or whatever. Whereas in a lot of these situations, even if I'm getting a decently high produced story, the story you're telling me is hot. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me this hot cnc scary whatever kind of story right like you know i someone's car broke down and i picked them up but instead of taking them home i took them back to my place and like they can't really get away from here and like well if you really want me to drive you home here's what you got to do or what you know like and you're building up that tension in a way that like is still all playing into uh, is all still built to communicate the power which mm-hmm. is the thing that people who are watching the scene find sexy and the exploitation of that power, which is the thing, you know, mm-hmm. your boss is doing this thing to you or whatever, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's still, the story is still serving the sex versus the sex serving the story. Right. When we talk about consent, not only in scenes, but also like behind the camera or like on set rather, mm-hmm. um, one thing that's come up that's kind of interesting in the last I don't know decade or two is the idea of intimacy coordinators on set Mm -hmm. um, which I find really fascinating Um, I'm going to link in the show notes an article that Tina Horn wrote about this Um, Tina Horn is a longtime pornographer uh, porn performer former pro dom um, Mm -hmm. who later started doing work as an intimacy coordinator and um, this is essentially a person who is hired to help facilitate intimate scenes in movies and TV could be sex scenes, could be stuff like makeouts or like sexual assault type scenes. Um, Mm. And some of what they do involves sort of like choreographing or helping actors like rehearse these scenes. Um, Mm. Some of it can involve like sort of being a consultant and making sure that certain details are right. Like I know Tina has talked about being hired to specifically commentate on like queer sex or kinky sex or pro dom type stuff in scenes and Mm -hmm. make sure that it is authentic and fair to those groups. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of it is just to help make sure that the actors are comfortable and are consenting to everything that's going on. And I think this is awesome. I don't really have a question about this, but like I find this work really fascinating I'm always really interested to know whenever I see a sex scene in something new now, like whether they had an intimacy coordinator and like what that process was like. And I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of this type of work came out like came as a response to stuff like the blue is the warmest color situation, which if you don't know, was like a a lesbian film. And it was um, it was alleged. I don't know enough about it really to commentate, but it was alleged that like 
the actors were like forced to do stuff that they didn't really want to do and were made super uncomfortable um, on mm-hmm. set. And so I think it's a it's a nice thing to have an intimacy coordinator on set who can sort of hopefully help prevent that kind of thing from happening. Yeah, I what I like best about this is that it has one person whose responsibility is to take lead on that mm-hmm. and to have that information, to have the conversations with both of the actors and to be thinking about that all of the time because like the director is thinking about a lot of things the cameramen are thinking about lots of things right Mm -hmm. the actors are not necessarily in a position to advocate for themselves particularly loudly because there's a lot of power dynamic stuff going on and a lot of just weird social pressure going on right so the fact that there is someone whose whole job doesn't have to think about literally anything else except asking these questions making sure they know and remember the answers and looking for problems is i think really fucking important i'm i was thinking a lot about the every once in a while uh something blows up on twitter that there is some consent issue like i'm trying to not say this in a, as if it is frivolous like it is always important and Twitter drama becomes Twitter drama, right? Uh, And these are not always conversations that are best had 140 characters at a time with people who are not remotely involved in this industry, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw a tweet thread of a performer talking about like, hey, like, do you think it's everyone's responsibility on set to be ensuring consent, right? Or like to stop a thing if they see something that is not consensual? Like does that responsibility extend to everyone on set, right? Which is like, we're talking like fucking makeup artists and shit if we're talking everyone on set, right? Right. And like without fail, every first name, last name, bunch of numbers account was like, absolutely, because consent is essential and everyone should step in as soon as they see something that is non-consensual. And I can guarantee you none of those people have been responsible for watching people have sex in front of them. Like, Yeah, like it's not I, as if I, consent is just something you can see. Like it's, it's not right. that simple. It, you can't always discern like as kinksters we know this better than most because a lot of the sex that we have looks non-consensual and is consensual and and the inverse can also happen and does happen right and like i think about my work as a dm right where i walk around and look at scenes and decide do i need to interrupt that scene Mm -hmm. the answer is usually no just fucking throwing that out there people are usually pretty good right um but like do is is something going wrong there that I need to interrupt and stop? And like, mm-hmm. you know, I've watched, I've been a curator for porn sites. I watch a video. Is this allowed to be out in the world? Does this look like it's okay? Mm-hmm. Or is not, is consent not happening here? Right. That's not a black and white fucking answer. That's not a thing I can just see. You can't expect the fucking makeup artist and the set dresser and cameraman to understand each performer's boundaries and to like, what are they all having a conversation with them off the bat and watching like, that's not practical. Those are not people like in the same way the performer doesn't necessarily, there's, there's a lot of power stuff. So does the guy who's hired for a day to hold the camera? Like is, and, and, and if we're putting the accountability on them, that's also just a lot of like emotional and moral pressure to feel like you are the arbiter of those things, to feel like if something happens, it was your responsibility to somehow have seen and understood and said a thing about it. Right. Mm 
Like, consent is a much more complicated and nuanced thing than I think most people give it credit for. People who don't Mm -hmm. spend a lot of time around strangers having sex. Like, I... That's not a typical occurrence, I think, for the average person to spend extended amounts of time just watching strangers fuck. Mm-hmm. And, like, the fundamentally, I don't think, understand what that entails. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think, I don't know, I've, uh, I'm on a soapbox for a thread that I saw a fucking year ago and I'm still mad about. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, I, I, I think an intimacy coordinator who is someone who is qualified in some type of way right has sex work has like a background in sex work maybe has backgrounds in like social work therapy type stuff right Mm -hmm. like backgrounds in fucking communicating with humans and interpersonal relationships and sexuality and the way that looks like Mm -hmm. that is a person who should be there who should be thinking about these things because it can't be everyone's responsibility that is not an effective method of I don't want to say policing, but it's the only word my brain is giving me. But, like, uh, monitoring, caring for these things and caring for each other. Like, uh, and people who think you can deal with, like, consent is just a switch that you can just see if it's on or off. uh, Fundamentally lack an understanding of all of this. Yeah, it's a very specialized skill set, and I'm glad that there's a specialized role for it. Yeah. Thank you for saying that succinctly. I just rambled and, <laughs> and, and ranted. It's fine. I'm doing fine. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this uh, ranty, soapboxy discussion of sex scenes in media. Um, Weird. I have opinions about this. Yeah. Think? If you have a sex scene for movies or TV that you think is really exceptional and wonderful, feel free to tweet it at us or email us uh, and let us know. I'd be curious to know like what listeners of this show in particular think are great sex scenes because I'm sure that mm-hmm. they're nerdier and better and kinkier and queerer than average um i've been kate sloan you can find me online at girlyjuice.net or katesloan.com i am on twitter and instagram at girly underscore juice i have a weekly newsletter at katesloan.email the most recent one of those was about when you want to fuck somebody but not date them and what that Uh, might be caused by because I've been thinking about this because I have a friend with benefits who I'm like very not romantically attracted to but very sexually attracted to which is like pretty rare for me Mm -hmm. Um, so you can read that for five bucks a month at katesloan.email you get those in your inbox weekly very dummy Um, it is it's very dummy Uh, I am on twitter and instagram at girly underscore juice did I say that already I don't know where is your stuff I can edit it out if you did you (laughs) You have power. You have the power. God, who am I? Um, I'm Billy Lore. You can. Uh, who am I? Where am I? Yeah. I'm Billy Lore. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Billy Lore. You can find information about my workshops and all of my porn at BillyLore.com. Uh, I've been posting some fun new stuff, and I've got like some stuff in the queue that I am working on getting out as I climb out of this little surprise depression hiatus. Um, y'all are, I've said this before, but y'all are like some of my favorite people to have on my fan site because you're just 
great. I don't know. Listeners of the show are fucking delight. So I set up a page. Uh, if you go to billylore.com slash dildork, singular, it's you, you're the dildork. Um, you have a link there to get a free week of my site to come check out what I'm doing. Um, and then like, hopefully stick around. Um, billylore.com has all of the rest of the links, um, for all of the things. Together with the Dildorks, we're at thedildorks.com and on Twitter and Instagram at thedildorks. We're also at patreon.com slash thedildorks. That's the important one to remember because that's how you uh, give us some money and help us keep doing this thing while also, you know, eating and paying our rent. Uh, for $6 a month, you get access to our exclusive Discord where you can come chat with us and give us questions for future shows, tell us just your favorite sex scenes and movies, all those things. Um, and for $12 a month, you get our Patreon-only bonus episodes where... You can hear us ramble about all sorts of things. Uh, I think the last one is the one where you had your little thing about... uh, We talked a bit about media in the last one, because you did the PSA thing. I think that was a bonus episode. No, this is the rambly outro. Cut it where you will. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, some of the things that we talked about on that bonus episode... Wet Dreams kink, which is a new kink that I'm into. Um, A weird interaction that you had with a fan. Uh, oh, the ethics yeah. mm. of real person fan fiction. We talked quite a bit about you quitting weed, which was a very interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, talked about me giving a hands-free hypno orgasm, jerking off to a video of a guy fucking a couch, and uh, talked a little bit about the idea of casual love. So I'm coming up it. on a month without smoking. That'll be Thursday. I'm so proud of so you. So when this babe. comes out, yeah, look at me go. <laughs> wow, I want to have say... so much more energy and money. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Both weeds expensive. Weird. <laughs> I want to say thank you to our top tier Patreon supporters, Amelia, Amy, Nat, Stabitha Christie, and MB. We really appreciate your support as ever. Thank you also to Protodome, who did our theme song. Thank you to Amy, who did our logo. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Um, wait, do I want to say anything else about Fifty Shades before we move on? Probably. Um, I've already gotten us yelled at, it's fine. <laughs> uh, let me make sure I'm on the mic. Mike, I am. Look at me go. I know how to podcast. Check, check. Woohoo! All right. Let's do a countdown. Yeah. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Um, okay. Story for a bloop. Brief yes. content note. I am going to mention weight loss, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Just <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. Uh, so this guy emailed me a while ago and he was like, I have a writing project that I mm-hmm. want to hire you for, and our budget is 50 to 100K. And I was like, mm, that sounds okay. fake. That's, yeah. um, but okay. And he was like insisting on setting up a Zoom call, which I hate when people do that. I was like, yeah. I'm really busy right now. Like, could you just send me an outline of like what you're thinking? Tell me if so I'm like, even interested before I do yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. And he just kept being like, it'll be easier if we can just get on a call, which is just, I don't know, it's kind of oh. creepy, and I don't like that. Yeah. So... I eventually got on the call with the guy 
and um, he starts like talking about my music. He's like, I listened to some of your songs and like, you're a really great singer. I feel like if you like re-recorded them with like better drums that you'd definitely be a star on YouTube. And I was like, I didn't ask for any advice or commentary right. on my music. Um, and like, I don't know, at, it, it, you care about it, but it's not the thing that you like need to be a star on YouTube for. I don't, yeah. I don't know that yeah. you want to be anyway. Yeah. Like, also, the, the the funny thing about this call as well was like he got on a video Zoom call and probably was expecting me to put my video on. And I just was so annoyed that I didn't put my video good. On. <laughs> good. I support that. Which felt like kind of a power move or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm like, this is the thing you do for your creative joy of being cre anyway. Yeah, so he's like oh, trying to be, he's trying to be friendly before getting into business. He's like, "How's your life going?" You. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, "My life's going all right. I don't know. I'm I'm working. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this project." Yeah. I was like, "I don't yeah. want to waste my fucking time here." We're not so friends. I don't know you. Yeah, it turns out that he wanted me to write about his products that his company makes in GQ, uh, which I can't don't do and can't do um right. and i gave my usual answer about like ethics integrity and if you want to advertise on gq you should reach out to the advertising manager at gq which is not who i am right um and he kept being like are you sure you can't do it because our budget is 50 to 100k which i'm like i'm betting even if i said yes he's not giving me 50 to 100k right. to do that like why are you even lying to me right um so i was like that no, might be I, your budget I, what portion of that are you expecting to spend on me right like I, I I can't I'm I'm not gonna do that, yeah. and um and then he was asking me about blog posts and stuff and and he was like are you comfortable with um our products being weight loss products, and I was like I, I was actually really proud of myself because I think a few years ago I would have qualified and like you know stuttered a lot more about this but I was right. like oh uh, no I can't do that like absolutely yeah. not um no. that's a hard line that's an ethical thing I don't promote weight loss products. Yeah. Um, and he seemed really surprised by that. Um, and it's not remotely related to like right. my niche and yeah. I'm ethically opposed. Yeah. He was like, we make sex toys and weight loss products. Cool. <laughs> I'm sure you're great at both of those things. That's... <laughs> right. Really specializing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like to his credit, he did seem sort he felt sort of bad about it, I think. And he he I think he said like sorry for wasting your time. But like this experience really has made me feel like I need to have a hard policy on this. Like we're not yeah. hopping on a Zoom call if you're not telling me anything about what you want me to do. Cause this was such a waste of time. Like even if the call itself was only twenty minutes, like I had to like schedule it via email and like set it up and get ready for it and Yeah. And like here <sighs> I from the jump when you're like wants to get on a Zoom call and I'm like yeah if you're not comfortable putting your business model in writing I'm not comfy with it like that <laughs> it either means I don't want this in writing for some reason or another possibly because I'm asking you to unethically advertise my product in a yeah another platform or like B Oh, no, if I write it out, it looks scammy. You need to hear the charismatic version of me explaining it to you yeah. where I can be pushy in the ways that I need to to make it sound less scammy. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, Or I can I can I, be like, you said 50 to 100K, and now you're saying much less than that, but you said right. it on a phone call, so I don't have a recording of it, except right, exactly. I probably should have recorded it. I don't know if that's legal or not. But. I don't, but like... <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I mean, you're you're journalist. The, the, this is on the record. Yeah, I'm recording. You know, uh, there's there's fine. some laws. I, I know that in, if you're in New York, you don't have to ask anyone because it's mm. a one party consent state. So, like, mm. as long as you, the person recording it, are consenting, it's legal yeah. to record it. But I don't I don't remember what the rules are up here. Which yeah. is silly because I am a journalist and I do that. Uh, but yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, like. Mm, I don't know. Ah, hmm. Hate that. Hate all of that. Yep. Hate it. And I, 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 I feel like there wasn't that. That was not a misunderstanding. Yeah. With the like GQ, like I like mm, you know what you were asking. He thought he could charm me. I think yeah. into compromising my morals. And the thing with these people is, like, I would only ever accept an assignment like this if they were literally paying me enough money that I wouldn't have to work for the rest of my life. Right. Uh, because otherwise I would be trashing my integrity and it's like, why would I do that? I need, I'm going to and need like, to make money again additionally in the future. <laughs> right. And all, I, even if they were paying you enough to never have to work again for the rest of your life, like, do you like journalism too much for that? <laughs> right, right. Like, I don't think you, I don't, I don't think you would, uh, uh, you know, you'd probably take some years off every now and then, but <laughs> I don't think you would ever not never yeah. write again i mean there you have other things that you write but like yeah. i don't think you'd be comfortable not being respected as a journalist for the rest of your life yeah not not my fave idea yeah. hate all of it <laughs> all right want to talk about sex scenes yeah